Hey everybody, and welcome to week eight of Stat Chasing. Uh, it was really injury-packed week, a lot of interesting things to break down, and uh, we have Hassan joining this week uh, as a replacement for, for Connor, so really excited about that. Um, you guys obviously all know Hassan from, from Road of Viz, and he's been on Ship Chasing a bunch, so yeah, excited to have you on, Hassan. How was uh, how's your week going? Uh, no, thanks for having me on. I was pretty excited when you asked me to 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 guest uh, to guest host here. So I decided, I was like, hell yeah! One of my this is one of the premier podcasts I listen to. So and that's actually not me being facetious. This is like a podcast by smart people for smart people. So I liked it a lot. Um, the week uh, the week itself is is going all right. Um, Looking over my fantasy teams, had a pretty strong showing as opposed to what I thought where I thought I'd be. Um, I think Monday Night Football really bailed me out a little bit. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, um, week's going all right. Yeah, digesting some of the injury stuff. And as far as fantasy, last week didn't have the best week. Uh, had a lot of like Eagles players. So with the bye week, that hurt some of my teams. And then, yeah, when, when I was on um, you and Blair's podcast on Sunday talked about how I somehow ended up with a lot of Falcons players in my team this year. So that was <laughs> the Pitts and London uh, disaster continued this week. So I don't know. We can we can dive into that once we get to the charts, but it's it's getting hard to to start either of those guys at this point. Yeah, um, but just imagine if they also had Calvin Ridley, so that way they could have this phenomenal receiving core and then just <laughs> not throw the ball right. Oh my god! If they if they have Ridley back next year and they keep with this archaic offense, it's gonna be, oh man, well, well, we'll dive into that in in just a bit. Uh, so why don't we get into uh, the quarterbacks now to start things off? Um, Sir, so let's do it. So on the quarterback side, um, just for for everyone listening. Um, on audio or, or watching along on video, we're looking at quarterback passing efficiency and rushing production here on this chart. So just to quickly orient you to the chart, we have adjusted yards per attempt on the x-axis. So that's yards per attempt, but adjusted for interceptions and touchdowns. And then TD rate here on the y-axis. And finally, the size of the bubbles here is rushing yards so you'll see guys like Jalen Hurts and Lamar have much larger bubbles than say Tom Brady you know um Tua those those types of guys so looking at this chart I, the, the first thing that jumped out to me is on was seeing Tua in that far right quadrant of the chart so continuing to boast a strong adjusted yards per attempt with a pretty strong touchdown rate we saw him after weeks one and two up way up there in that top right quadrant and you know it's obviously still a small sample size with him but just curious your thoughts on Tua going forward whether we can sort of expect him to maintain this level of efficiency that he's shown with um, Tyreek and Waddle or sort of if you expect him to regress more to you know 2021 version of Tua maybe maybe somewhere in the middle yeah, curious how you're viewing Tua for the rest of the season. No, I really don't see how uh, Tua is truly going to regress, right? Like, it's it's a little difficult. So um, so one of the things about average air yards per attempt here, Tua was actually fourth last week. 
um, you know, had 9.4 adjusted yards per attempt, which is pretty impressive considering the fact that the the Finns didn't necessarily need to do a lot against the Steelers to win. Um, they, there was a lot of meat left on the bone. You could tell that they were they were playing him back in if you watch that game. Um, and I just think the reason that he doesn't regress or won't regress is primarily because he's got Jalen Waddle, and on top of that, they have Tyreek Hill. Like, this is an offense that is built to emphasize the fact that Tua is in a... Like a Maybe he has a noodle arm, sure. And maybe he's not aggressive on downfield attempts. Like, you know, the other guys in the squadron, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, especially. Joe Burrow as well sneaks in there. But these guys win with Yak. And so, like, they basically make up for the fact that his deep ball may not be as his deep ball game may not be among the elite. Like, they're trying to do their best to mitigate their issues as it comes down to um, their, uh, as it comes down to, um, what Tua has now. I, I now I will preface this by saying, in terms of completion percentage over expected, Tua was actually one of the worst last week. He had minus six point eight completion percentage over expected, which is you know to be something to to expect coming from a quarterback coming off a horrific head injury that we saw. Um, you know, uh, uh, so I, so I'm actually optimistic that that we will see Tua kind of continue to smash uh, on this on this far right um, remaining in this quadrant. Like, I don't think it'd be a surprise. Um, like I don't expect him to sort of fall back down to earth. It, it, the one that also caught my eye, and we'll get to PJ Walker in a second, but I wanted to wanted to point out like Joe Burrow. Yeah. Um, you know, like he's really come on strong. Uh, I think. Do you think this is like he's put together two incredibly solid back-to-back weeks. Do you think that this offense has figured something out? Like, does Joe Burrow, you know, yeah. move move further to the right here, in your in your opinion? Yeah, it definitely seems like they figured something out the past couple of weeks. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I, th- I think they've gone a lot more three. I mean, they're, they're heavily a three-wide receiver team already, but I think they've gone even more into an extreme of that the past couple of weeks. And also just running the offense – through Joe Burrow instead of Joe Mixon um, the past couple of weeks as well. And, you know, that's something we saw a little bit last year too, where they started off the season seeming like they wanted Joe Mixon to be the engine of the offense. And then down the stretch figured out, Hey, if we just let Joe Burrow go LSU mode and throw the ball every play, he can put up some ridiculous numbers. So, you know, (laughs) Zach Taylor's fooled me before and we've seen these games and he's gone back to these, you know, massive rushing games for Joe Mixon. So I don't want to say um, the tide has, has completely turned here, but I do expect them to be more pass happy um, or continue to be sort of pass happy down the stretch of the season. Um, you know, as long as those three wide receivers, Higgins, Boyd and Chase can remain healthy. Uh, I expect big things from, from Burrow. Yeah, uh, the achiever says to me in the chat that I said that T was dusted. This uh, this active aggression will not stand. I mean, to be fair, he was the only one of three Bengals wide receivers to not cross a hundred yards receiving. So, so yeah, he is kind of dusty in that in that regard. I mean, I mean, Boyd had a career day. Jamar Chase, we know can like. I mean, that guy can score from anywhere in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, give him the football and watch him watch him destroy the defense. Uh, just wanted to circle back here to PJ yeah. Walker. Uh, this seems to be just by virtue. It's like, cause he's only had like two starts. One was just abjectly atrocious. And yeah. one was his like career best career best game against the Buccaneers. 
Um, how do you expect that dot of his and where do you expect it to go? And do you think that it's replaced by Baker Mayfield? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, like, I honestly think the way Baker was playing, it's almost hard for Walker to do worse. Now, I don't expect, you know, I see him in sort of this top right quadrant here around guys like Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Jimmy G. I don't really, not like those guys are like amazing, but I don't expect Walker to be in that range. I'd expect him to be closer to sort of like a Davis Mills, maybe Matt Ryan type area this season. But yeah, I don't know. Honestly, it he, he what, what I care more about with Walker than like his fantasy stats himself, like it's hard to see him ever being fantasy relevant. It's more about can he support DJ Moore as sort of like the last <laughs> bastion of, fantasy relevance on this Panthers team and DJ Moore has showed signs of life the past couple weeks, not like massive games, but his two best games of the season, I believe. Um, So just the fact that he's prioritizing getting DJ Moore the ball I'm excited about. And yeah, I think if I was to like rank the most likely, you know, so there's Darnold Baker and PJ Walker all on the Panthers. Um, as quarterbacks the rest of the year, I think at this point, like I think Darnold starting the majority of the games might be the most likely scenario, maybe Walker second and Baker third. Like that's sort of how I'd rank it. If I was just to sort of guess, but yeah, I don't know. Curious at what your thoughts are. Do you think Darnold, like, do you think Walker's playing well enough to, to hold off Darnold? He was supposed to be back from IR in the next, next week or two. Uh, that's a good question. I honestly, man, I don't think anyone has it as an answer. That's like yeah. definitive. I mean, again, like I'm kind of with you where I think they might go back to Sam Darnold, but like Darnold was also kind of, I mean, in essence, kind of got cooped, right? Like, like they went out, they traded for Baker Mayfield. Uh, they were like, you know, we're done. There was like a competition for quarterbacking where they just gave it to Baker, um, you yeah. know, Darnold also got hurt, so like he's not like he had a good case. Like this is again like for from the quarterback perspective, it's a waste. And I think from a fantasy perspective, we really just want someone who will just deliver the ball to DJ Moore ten times a game. Yeah. No more of this shy Smith, no more of this Tommy Tremble, like none of this, none of these XFL guys, you know, like we don't want we don't want to see to see these guys taking up like like of the very limited offensive possessions they're going to get. We just don't want to see these guys getting prioritized in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given DJ Moore's like you know acquisition prices off season, it sucks. You're just going to play him, and you're going to have to wear it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as we as we go into the bye weeks, there's not that many viable viable you know guys you can actually slot in there. Like this week, you've got the Chargers on bye, and also the Chiefs on bye instantly removes like a handful of guys who, you know, were going later than them in drafts so you could put in. Um, uh, I will say the name that jumps out the most and is like the biggest indictment here is just Skyler Murray hanging out, like just where he is. It's just like, I mean, I mean, everyone saw it, right? Like him fighting with, with, with Cliff on the sidelines uh, during the game and they're just yelling at each other about the play calling. Um, Do you think do you think Nuke being back improves gets Murray at least to the right side of the quadrant there? Like at least yeah. you know, somewhere at least outside of this Justin Fields, 
Tom Brady, Daniel Jones area. I think, yeah, I think he will get better. I mean, we have a big enough sample size on Murray that I don't think he's like, there's no re. I mean, with some of the other underperformers in this area, it makes sense. Like Stafford's getting old, um, really limited weapons on that team. Dak had an injury, sort of small sample size. I don't know. Kyler, I just don't see him continuing to play this bad. I do think that the Arizona scheme is is terrible and not getting the most out of the players, but Kyler's been able to overcome that uh, before. So, yeah, I think, like, from a fantasy points standpoint, I think he hasn't still hasn't been that bad. He's kind of, like, been saved by volume and, and rushing a little bit. And I would, like... I think the public perception, you know, we don't have like ADPs to go off of or anything right now, but I think the public perception on Kyler is lower than what my expectation is for him for the rest of the year. So maybe, maybe in leagues, like it's worth sending um, a trade offer over to the Kyler owner, because I think he hasn't really showed that ceiling game yet this year. And I think, I think it still exists. Um, I know you, you, you started the question about Hopkins. I sort of see like the, Hopkins versus Marquise Brown swap is sort of a wash. I don't, yeah, it's hard for me to say that that's like a major upgrade or like a major downgrade. I think, you know, with, with Brown leaving Hopkins coming in, I like, I, I guess my point would be, I don't think that's the, Hopkins is the reason Kyler will play better going forward. I sort of just see it as like more like randomness um, that like he has to play better going forward based on his sort of career. Um, up to this point yeah i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of with you on that i mean like so 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 chris had a good question in the chat about cliff kingsbury ever elevating the cardinal skill players the answer to that uh is no man i mean um i was still stunned at the fact that they actually gave this incredibly dysfunctional steve kime cliff kingsbury bearing an extension We've seen we've seen uh, teams do that where they just have like they make the playoffs once through like really good luck, and then they just sort of celebrate, and then that's it. And then you come back to the next season, and it's like yeah, somehow it's even worse. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like 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 to, to your point, Calamari survived on like rushing alone. I mean, this the same the same thing is kind of a little bit true now for Daniel Jones, who's also here, and so same with Justin Fields. I mean, we were there. <laughs> we all saw it. Like the Bears finally decided to start using designed runs for their incredibly athletic mobile quarterback, and it worked. I don't I don't know. Like I, I wanted to get out, and they, the the Giants are doing something similar with Daniel Jones. So I wanted to get your take, like, um, like candidly speaking, would you be dropping someone like a Kenny Pickett, you know, despite the fact that he's got these phenomenal wide receivers for someone like a Daniel Jones, if that's possible? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I kind of view them as similar. I think I, I think I would give still the edge to pick it over Jones and, and fields, just because I think there's a little bit, like we haven't seen it so far, as you can obviously see on this chart. Yeah, he's adjusted yards per attempt his way to the left. Now that that is skewed by the fact that I think he's thrown like five interceptions to just two touchdowns or something along those lines, and, and the way just purely the way that metric is calculated, if your ratio is that skewed from touchdowns interceptions, you're gonna do poorly. But 
yeah, I don't know. I just think there's more of sort of like the the mystery box element to Pickett still, where I could see him really exploding from from a passing perspective in a way that that Jones and Fields, I don't think, can. And and also Pickett does add a little bit um, on his legs, but yeah, I think I think that's about the right range. The thing with Jones and Fields that's kind of interesting is like they're. Their rushing ability mostly just gives them a floor in fantasy, but they haven't really put the rushing and the and the passing together to really show a true ceiling. And and maybe it's just kind of like unlucky for them that it hasn't happened yet. But I tend to think it's more systemic. Like with the Bears, they're just not letting Fields throw it enough. I mean, maybe last night we saw saw it a little bit. And then with twenty one pass attempts, though, that was all the ad. Yeah. Yeah, and with Jones, like I think the wide receiver room there is just so bad that it's tough to to see him really um, exploding through through the air. So yeah, I think like yeah, if you're if you're looking for upside in like a one QB league, I s- still think I prefer Pickett to those two. If you're in sort of like just looking for a one week starter, maybe I'd go I'd go Jones or, or Fields. But yeah, the season long upside I still think is better for Pickett. Yeah, and I mean, to to your point about like how the adjusted yards per attempt is calculated, uh, I actually think it's good that he's not, like still chucking it, if that makes sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he's not turtling. They're not, the offense isn't turtling either. Like Tomlin doesn't care. He's gonna let the rook rip it, even if they're gonna, even if he's gonna throw three ints. Like I, I'm kind of with you in that. I'd rather bet on Pickens, Claypool, Deontay, Pat Freermuth, yeah, um, potentially carrying him to some big spike weeks because um, because Daniel Jones is going to need I don't know Richie James to go off or something yeah. like that. You know, Martin you know, like Thompson or David Sills or yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because you can see a, a like a four TD game in Pickett's range of outcomes at like, especially the fact that they're fine with letting the rookie go out, throw an end and then go right back out and sling it again. You know? Yeah. Um, like they, they're not, they're not putting any clamps on him, which is, which is actually good to see because why not figure out what you have in him and fail fast. Right. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to uh, hit on this uh, comment from Graham. So yeah, just in how these charts are made, Graham, I limit it to one quarterback per team and I do my best to guess who the starting quarterback like next week is going to be truly with Zappy and Mac. I, I didn't, I didn't know how to guess in that one, but if Zappy was on this chart, he actually would show up in the top right quadrant, like sort of near Gino. He's got eight uh, rounds here. Let me pull it up. Um, he's got 8.1 adjusted yards per attempt. Um and then a 5.4% TD rate. So yeah, he would be sort of around Burrow, Gino, Jimmy G on this chart. So yeah, I think that's just an interesting quick point that like Zappy has definitely been a lot better than Mac um, on his limited sample thus far. So we'll see if the Patriots um, think of it that way or if the Mac benching was more due to injury than performance. That's kind of kind of a hard one to read. It, uh, I mean, I don't know if you're reading the same stuff, um, uh, but it sounds like they might be going back to Mac uh, yeah. next week. So um, I don't think they were particularly thrilled with how that game played out for them. 
Um, but yeah, dime, dime, dime of Dell. Um, just a real shame. Yeah. Great story. Yeah, it's I, I like Zappy's fun, but I I think it's probably gonna come to an end. But hey, like he's made himself um, so much money in the league just by being confident in a couple backup starts. He could be oh god, yes, he could be the Chase Daniel of uh, of our generation. Um, the last one thing I wanted to hit on here, Asan, and then feel free to add anything else is just I think it's interesting that Mariota appears in the far right quadrant. Also, like showing a pretty good rushing ceiling here with those bubble size. And like the thing that this chart is obviously missing is is volume, like passing volume. It's it's showing passing efficiency, but we have no like you wouldn't be able to tell from this chart that the Falcons are operating an offense from the, the 1920s. But I just wanted to make that point to, to say that it's kind of frustrating how because I could see if Mariota was like you know, where Kyler was or where Mac Jones was in this chart, I could see, okay, I can see why Arthur Smith is trying to limit the offense. Like Mariota has been so terrible, so inefficient. Um, but this chart is actually, is actually showing that when he does pass, he's been relatively efficient and, you know, it's not boosted by some artificially high TD rate. Like his TD rate is fairly middle of the road. So yeah, I just want to make the point that the Arthur Smith stuff like makes even less sense given what's on this chart. I don't think Mariota is a star by any means. And I think if volume went up, his efficiency probably would go down, but like at least try to, at least try to throw in games where you're down by 20, the entire game. It's just kind of a, a ridiculous offense to be running there in Atlanta. Yeah. And I think some of it, it just comes from, from um, recent performance, right? Like just sort of like what we saw like we want more out of out of it because we're heavily invested in this passing game, but he's currently averaging about 18 PPR points per game right now. Uh, he's only had like one truly horrendous week in um, that was like week four against Cleveland. I mean, maybe Cincinnati if you account for the 13. Otherwise, ever since uh, all those other ones, like he's been above at or above like 17.8 PPR points per game. He's kind of got like a median outcome of like 20 PPR points per game. So I'm not surprised to see him in that in that area. It's very much, and this is going to, it's, it's very gross and sad to say, but um, this is the Tim Tebow experience. You just plug him in and you just tune right out. You just don't pay attention. And then yeah. you just, and then when you look, you got like 17 or 18 points and you're like, all right. Yeah. All right. Just don't. Don't stack him with his pass catchers. Good God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Now that's a good point. Like the, the Mariota fantasy stuff has actually been decent. And like, I think, I don't know. I, I want to say there's like a ceiling game in there somewhere. If the Falcons ever wake up and, and throw a little bit more, but man, I, I said that last week, I was like, Oh, the Bengals are going to push them and the Bengals theoretically push them. And the Falcons responded by running even harder. So, I don't know. Um, we'll see on that. I, I do want to move on to running back now. Um, so for people following along, we're now looking at running back expected fantasy points and efficiency on this chart with receiving expected fantasy points on the y-axis, rushing expected fantasy points on the x-axis, Add those together, you get a sense of running back's total workload in terms of expected fantasy points. 
So this is showing the average expected fantasy points over weeks one through seven, just for the AFC running backs. Hassan, uh, one thing, and I know we talked about this um, on Sunday, on your Sunday show with Blair, but the Austin Eckler usage here really jumps out again on this chart. And yeah, I just wanted to, I know you talked a little, you had some theories about like the, the Eckler workload. So curious again, to, to get your take for maybe those who didn't hear it. Um, do you think this receiving workload for Eckler is sustainable, uh, especially with Keenan coming back? Or do you think this is uh, bound to regress? No, I mean, I think it's sustainable here. Uh, I, I, I really do, which sounds crazy to say. Um, Mike Williams is out. Maybe Keenan gets some more of the shorter targets, but it really seems that like Justin Herbert is has really been hindered by that rib injury. Um, a lot of short passing coming from coming from him, and that's actually uh, like very relevant if you go back to the quarterback charts. And so for those of you, I suggest going to Sam's Twitter feed to actually pull these charts up and he tweets them because it is very important to actually see that because I think that those two yeah. things go hand in hand. Um, Austin Eckler truly is that safety blanket right now for Justin Herbert. Now, maybe maybe his rib is fine in the long run. Like maybe down the stretch, he's not going to be there. But right now, he is breaking fantasy football. Like He is putting up, you know, buku points. And that is, I mean, that's, that's what you need. He's got, uh, I mean, he's got 45 high-value touches. The next closest one is to him, as you've seen in your chart, actually, is Joe Mixon with 39. Um He's currently lapping the field in terms of receptions, 41. The next highest next to that is, um, hang on, let me just quickly check here, is Christian McCaffrey with 33. Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, These target totals, yeah. Sorry sorry to cut you off, but just 16 and 12 the past two weeks with catch reception totals of 10 and 12. It's just, I mean, that's that'd be ridiculous for a wide receiver. Yeah, like it's... It's just, I mean, it's absolutely out of control. And I think that, like, yeah, it ha- like you can see uh, from a real football perspective, like, how little, like, this truly helps because like, they're not winning games, unfortunately, right? But the fact that they're trying to, like, minimize the issues that Herbert is going through and leaning on Eckler, like, for as long as, for uh, until we can be 100% sure that Herbert is good to go, can play without pain, can roll out, take big hits, and make big plays without any form of being hindered. Like, I think this is completely sustainable. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about Zach Taylor before. Joe Mixon is getting there it just in terms of insane workload, despite his inefficiency, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I view it the same way. I think it's, I think it's sustainable and like, yeah, I mean, Keenan's yeah. coming back, but Mike Williams is now going to be out. I don't expect Keenan to be fully healthy. Whenever Mike Williams comes back, I don't expect him to be fully healthy. And then we'll maybe see it on the wide receiver charts later, but DeAndre Carter and Josh Palmer are both basically running wind spritz when they're in the game. So, like, there's <laughs> the targets have to go, continue to go to Eckler, in my opinion. Like, unless Will Fuller or OBJ is walking through that door. Or, Isn't know, OBJ on the Vikings? Did, did that is that official now? Is that official? I, I don't know. I think I saw, I saw that. No, no, there's still a rumor. Never mind, okay, still, still a rumor. rumor. Yeah. Um, 
I did. I got a Twitter notification for that a few days ago, and then checked it, and it seemed to be some kind of rumor. But, anyways, um, p- point being on Eckler, like the wide receiver room there is so bad, especially with these injuries, that it just seems like a situation where they're going to design target, continue to design targets for him out of the backfield and and run the offense through him. Um, yeah. And it, it, just to add on to that, just wanted to say like. If you look in the zero to five expected fantasy point quadrant, there he is, the backup running back in the Los Angeles Chargers, Sony Michelle. Bam. Mm-hmm. I like like Spiller, unfortunately, like can't even get onto the field. And when he does, he gets stopped for for minus five runs, uh, minus five yards. Yeah. So, you're, so I mean, so you're looking at just a ridiculous workload here for Eckler. Just going forward, uh, really quick, I wanted to get. Uh, get your thoughts on and we and he's going to pop up later so we can't we can't also move on but just yeah. wanted to say um i wanted to get your thoughts on a james robinson trade where you think travis Etienne, where we're going to expect expect to see him sort of start start to settle in yeah i would um so looking at this chart just to sort of ground in in some numbers here we have both james robinson and travis Etienne averaging about 10 expected fantasy points per game now were you to look at this over just the last couple weeks, you know, I'm just kind of winging it here, but you'd see ETN probably closer to 15 and Robinson probably closer yeah. to five. Like it really, it really has shifted in in favor of ETN over the past couple weeks. But yeah, I would expect like ETN going forward to be in that 15 to 20 expected fantasy points range. That that might sound aggressive, but I really think he's gonna get close to a true workhorse uh volume in that running back room the other backups jamichael hasty snoop connor they're really not um nfl talents or at least they haven't showed that yet uh it seems like the coaching staff is trusting etn more and more so yeah i would probably be like if i was drafting today um you know shooting from the hip a little bit but i'd be drafting etn in the top 12 running backs probably around you know somewhere in the second round i, I would guess um, yeah i think that's I mean, the type of value you're looking at and efficiency counts yeah. he's been efficient with his work the efficiency counts um for sure and the receiving stuff too like i think what's what's really exciting about him is the the big playability too uh i think like with a lot of these guys um you know, Brees Hall, Austin Eckler, you know, even Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry, some of these elite running backs we've seen through the years, like the ability to rip off a really long touchdown run. You know, some people say it's fluky. Oh, like take away that 70 yard touchdown run and you only had this many points. But no, like you, you want to look for running backs that have that breakaway ability because that can really be what, what wins you your, your fantasy weeks. Um, it's a skill and, and you know, who has it? Dick Chubb does. I think he's got like 24 or so of those like incredibly long runs, like breakaway runs over the course of the season. Yeah. Doesn't shock me. Cause if like looking, well, yeah, I'll, I'll jump forward here just while we're on Chubb, but yeah, Chubb's workload is like laughably low. Like he, <laughs> if you, if you just look at workload in terms of, rush attempts and routes like he doesn't even appear on this first running back chart here he's like on all of the brown snaps he is um only receiving a rush or a route on around like 35 percent of the team's snaps so like compare that to barkley 
or some other workhorse in the NFL, like you see these guys getting closer to 60, 50% of their, uh, of their team's snaps where they're either getting a rush attempt or a route. And yeah, Chubb, Chubb survives on efficiency, but you know, at, at some point you have to realize that it's, it's somewhat, it's somewhat sticky with guys like Chubb. Um, yeah, maybe another thing to, that I think jumps out to me on this chart is just the Gus Edwards um, yeah. stuff. I think Baltimore is worth talking about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Last week, I, I think people were kind of asleep on the waiver wire. I, I'm guilty of this as well, where the Dobbins stuff started to look kind of bad. And I had a bunch of leagues where Gus Edwards, Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill were all out there. And it kind of left me like paralyzed to the point where I was like, ah, like I'll just bid on none of them they're you know none of them are worth paying for because i can't figure out who's who the guy is going to be turns out that gus edwards was very much the guy at least from an expected points work uh workload perspective he comes in here with no receiving workload that's that's kind of what we expect of him but um around 12 rushing expected points which you know for a guy you get off waivers that's that's pretty good definitely like rb2 you know, worthy if that were to continue, but yeah, just curious if you have thoughts on, on the Ravens backfield, um, would you be putting in aggressive bids on Gus Edwards if he's still out there in, in your casual leagues or so how, how are you sort of approaching um, a Baltimore backfield? Yeah, I think, I think Gus would be the way to play it. I just for now, I mean, we know that they like him. He's sort of proven to be the guy. I don't know how aggressive you truly have to be. Uh, if only because, uh, it was a very weird game. You know, like they basically were like, they reprised what the Falcons did, except that, you know, it was with Lamar under center. And yeah. Lamar is more than capable of just converting all those short goal line looks and also like punching them in from far. Right. Um, but I will say that you do want to prioritize Gus this week if somehow, if he's still there. Uh, I believe Bateman, it was a DNP this week. He, they're probably going to feed him. Yeah. which is a little unfortunate um, for those of us who want to want to see a f- healthy and functioning aerial offense for the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah. The Ravens offense has been frustrating. Um, started off so hot from a passing perspective. It was really faded. Um, let, let's move on here to the, to the yeah. NFC running backs again, same chart here, but now just showing the NFC, um yeah a couple you know we talked about this last week not a lot of huge changes i do want to point out that like camara is a guy where and i I wish we had best ball adp to back this up but i think people were really down on camara to start the season he looked um pretty bad in the first couple weeks from both the usage and efficiency perspective both of those have improved recently, and I think Dalton starting has been a huge boon to Kamara's workload. He's way more prone to to dump him off, uh, dump off short passes to Kamara than Jameis was. But yeah, just sort of like a mental note for me that um, Kamara's role is is pretty strong and, and maybe sort of stronger than I think. I, I think oftentimes we get anchored the first couple of weeks, and it, it was pretty easy to label Kamara bust after the first couple of weeks. Now, you know, maybe if you got him in the late, late second round or something like that, that's probably like pretty fair, fair value. And, and maybe you can buy in some places, but um, 
Yeah, and anything jump out to you here, either on on Camara or other other situations um, on this chart that you wanted to talk through? No, I'm I'm with you on Camara. I'd be interested to see what happens if the Saints go back to Jameis, because um, that 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 receiving expected fantasy points could easily change. I think Camara also benefited uh, for one week without having Olave there, um, yeah. right? And then. Hey, Michael, Michael Thomas. Yeah, Michael Andrew's Thomas doesn't out. exist. You know, you know, like, um, yeah. Nick Nick, Nick Bird kind of captures the guy I was just about to say. Kenneth Walker seems low on this charge based on role. Yeah, that's um, you know because Benny still mixed in for quite some time. Uh, here's something fun though. Kenneth Walker is mostly a rushing guy, so you're gonna so so basically this chart will work, work in the weeks where he didn't do very much. It's gonna it it suppresses his actual value i think um, just yeah just looking at that he's he he's what guy who i would expect to see in that 10 to 15 expected fantasy points quadrant especially because he's one of those guys who lives off of long run and long long runs and efficiency um we've seen him do that um he uh let's see uh he, he had uh, 3.8 rushing yards over expected last week uh, and he also, I believe, uh, has smashed uh, the over on his longest rushing attempt propped in every start this far in the season. Wow. Um, so, and I can just so, you know, so he's got these big, big runs, like absolutely completely in there. Uh, yeah. Kenneth Walker is a guy who you should not be surprised to see inst- instantly going to that 10 to 15 point range. Yeah. Um, and just to, just to like, get a little more concrete with the the numbers if you were to just look at the past two weeks for kenneth walker he's got expected point workloads um, via pff of 16.6 and 12.9 for the past two weeks so that you know average that that's about 15 he would be showing up sort of you know maybe like kind of like a dalvin cook miles sanders-esque workload over the past couple weeks so again i think yeah that's like He's definitely um, he's definitely hidden a little bit on this chart compared to his workload since he's been the starter. But at the same time, we're not seeing like enough receiving usage from him yet to put him in sort of the 15 to 20 expected fantasy point range. Uh, I think we need to see a little bit more receiving before we can we can put him there. But yeah, the efficiency is going to be. I think the efficiency is going to continue to to be very strong for him. So. Um. Yeah, here's here's one that I wanted to get your note uh, thoughts on. So Khalil Herbert kind of lines up pretty closely with David Montgomery on this chart, all like very very closely. Yeah. Um, yet their workloads are very dissimilar. Like, do you think the Bears eventually go to a true 50-50 committee? Like, what? Like, why are they not? Or at least, and if not, why not? Yeah. I don't. I, I think so, and I think we. Um, I'm actually curious on. I I didn't have time to look at the snaps from last night, but I think I did see Khalil Herbert um, start the third quarter with getting a touch before Montgomery did. Um, yeah, that that's something I want to double check to see if there's any any sign, um, and maybe I could pull that out um, as we're talking. But yeah, I think like. One thing about this chart is it is going to be skewed slightly by just how it works. There is one Khalil or maybe maybe even two like Khalil Herbert starts that would get factored into the average here where Herbert got to play without Montgomery. And we haven't seen Montgomery 
play without Herbert. So that does skew the chart a little bit. Um, I think we've seen now for two years, it's a little bit like a Pollard-Zeke situation where clearly the backup guy is better than the starter, but the team has some stubbornness in playing the backup over the starter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd expect, like, I kind of expect what we've seen out of Pollard-Zeke now where Herbert mixes in and gets, like, a decent role, but I I don't expect it to go to true 50-50 or for Herbert to – um surpass Montgomery it's just like a frustrating coach stubbornness thing I think uh I, I think also because both of them are bigger body backs Zeke and and Montgomery that they prefer to have their other like their explosive guys remain explosive right yeah. like you know I mean like it's fine if you're giving your low value touches to the big bruising guy you know get two or three yards and then you you know as cliche as it sounds truth hunter and lightning I I will say that, you know, what I love about this chart and all these charts so far is that they're all directionally very correct. Like you can see exactly how the story of this season has been unfolding. Mm -hmm. um, the only last guy I wanted to just quickly make a note on is Darrell Henderson with this Cam Akers stuff, man. Like he, he could be a guy who I think remains in this five to 10, but could potentially sneak into like the, at that, you know, borderline yeah. 10 to 15. Yeah, I think that's a good time talking about Henderson to to move on to this next chart. Yeah. I think this shows the the Henderson dilemma, I guess, pretty well. Um, so so now just for, for people following along, we're looking at percent of team plays where the player either gets a rush attempt or a route. And this first chart is showing all running backs um, that are getting a greater than 35% route slash rush attempt rate. And Henderson um, over so, so now this is this is just looking at a snapshot of the last four weeks. This is just weeks four to seven to, to filter out um, the first couple weeks. Henderson has like a top twelve, top fifteen role in terms of percent of team plays where he's you know getting a route or rush attempt, but it's a lot of empty routes um, for him and not a lot of rush attempts. How they've kind of structured this backfield is Henderson's out there for a lot of the pass blocking stuff, a lot of the um, pass routes, but he's not earning a ton of targets. It seems like a lot of the dump offs are going to, you know, Higby, Skaronic, you know, even Cup, and he's just kind of running empty routes. And then when they do want to bring a running back on the field to take a rush attempt, that's been Acres. That's even been Malcolm Brown this past week. Like it, it seems like it's it's kind of like I don't know if you remember like the the Daria Goombawale Tampa Bay Bucks role from back in the day. Yes, yes, it's almost a little bit like that where it's like he's a bad receiving back that's getting a lot of empty receiving snaps. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He, he's a tricky one for me. Like when you ask, I don't have, I don't have a straight answer on it. Like I, I this, this type of chart, like tells me like, Hey, acres is gone. He already has this pretty big workload. Like things should get better for him. But at the same time, I don't see him as having like this. I don't see him as having like massive upside. Like I, I think the, the median scenario is things get a little bit better for him, but I'm not like going out and, and overpaying for, for Henderson, you know, based off something like this. I don't think you even need to really like gosh yeah. adjusted, like, 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 like gosh adjusted that he's fine. Frankly, yeah. he's like, he's a, he's what you're getting for an RB two of what you're getting for cost. He's actually pretty good. Right. But then even the guys near him on the chart, Raheem mustard, especially like, you know, you're getting a similar outcome, right. Possibly better. And you can take those guys later. Like, I think that becomes a real discussion point. If you're looking at, 
Raheem Mostert versus Henderson, then that that's a real discussion point. Yeah. Uh, or a real decision point for you or, you know, but like, yeah, Henderson, you know, he's going to play, like get most of the rushing work. That's fine. Um, sucks about the receiving work, but you know, this is what you're getting out of your RB too. Yeah. Um, I did, I didn't want to talk about like Jacobs here. And I, I think we try to be like on this show, we generally try to be forward looking and not like rehash summer best ball debates, but I do want to like talk about Jacobs from uh, like uh, I guess a more philosophical perspective. Like, sh- should we have seen this coming in the off season? I think everybody saw him as this like true dead zone archetype, and now he's getting sort of a legendary workload almost. The past four weeks, twenty two expected fantasy points per game. You know, he's up there in the top five running backs in terms of percent of uh, team snaps where he's getting a rush attempt or route. And he's also showing like massive efficiency. Now I think that's buoyed by some, some touchdown luck, but over the past four weeks, he's got 12 um, fantasy points over expected per game to go along with that massive workload. So yeah, like I, I didn't see this coming. Like what, what are sort of, are there any lessons I guess we can learn from this Josh Jacobs um, thing for, for next off season? Or do you think this is just randomness and there's no way we could have foresaw this? No, there, there's a lesson. Uh, the lesson is uh, definitely draft dead zone running backs who are former first-round picks who didn't get their fifth-year options picked up because that's what happened with Jacobs. His fifth-year option was declined. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, he spent a lot of time talking about how he's trying to preserve his body for free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it doesn't come as like it doesn't come as a surprise that you know one, the team potentially is moving on, so they're just going to use him as much as they can. And then two, um, he's going to do what he can with that workload. I mean, you know, it helps that he's playing. He's play, he's played some soft rush defenses, yeah, but also Devonte Adams adds a new element to that offense that defenses have to start respecting. He's not just going to be slamming his body into into um, uh, loaded boxes. I I I don't. It's a very specific scenario. Uh, the one that I think that I regret the most on is I tried to be fairly player agnostic when drafting best ball. Um, the one, like, I would not have been able to swallow the Josh Jacobs bill had he been going in the fourth round, right? Yeah. And that was what made him a bad pick last year was that he tanked your team there. But this year in the eighth and ninth round, like, yeah, sure, that was great. But then, I mean, conversely, uh, and this is something that, that, that I was excited to talk to you about, and one that we didn't have a chance to talk about on Sunday show was um, Josh Jacobs kind of defines what a league winner looks like early on, right? But yeah. now with these, you know, ETN being really, you know, as unleashed and Kenneth Walker being unleashed, like, who do you think winds up being that true league winner? Because we still don't know, right? Is, would you still count Jacobs as, as one? Or as the true running back league winner here, or yeah, I mean, so cost cost adjusted. Like, if I'm, I think Jacobs is like, yeah, the best bet to be a league winner cost yeah. adjusted right now because like ETM was a third round pick, so that's not providing you as much leverage as the Jacobs that you could have got. I don't know. I think he he was even going in like the pick eighty to a hundred range in best ball by the end of it. My oh yeah, he his value tanked yeah yeah so i think like he 
it's it's weird to say, but I think he is definitely the best candidate to be a league winner at the running back position right now. I think you could throw Walker in the mix there as having a chance. You could throw you could certainly throw ETN or, or Barkley in there as well. Like we'll see how the season shakes out. But man, the yeah, the workload's been really good. The efficiency's been really good. I think like maybe a lesson for me on Jacobs is like, you know. <clears throat> When a team, I think when a team takes a running back in the second round or signs a running back in free agency with a lot of money, then like it makes sense to be scared about their workload going away. I guess an example of that would be Melvin Gordon and Javante last year. Like once Javante gets drafted, the writing's on the wall. Like Mel goes on his way out. He's never like he doesn't really have a chance at getting a big workload outside of an injury. But with Jacobs this offseason, a lot of people were like saying, oh, you should fade Jacobs because they drafted Zamir White and they signed Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah. And it was all these like, you know, Zamir White, day three pick, Abdullah and Bolden, like kind of nobody running back free agents that got tiny contracts. Like it's we were like scared about, you know, Josh Jacobs because of guys that were insignificant or at least had a chance to be insignificant so i think i'm gonna be wary of of that going forward if there's like a player that people are already prone to be biased against like josh jacobs i'm gonna be careful of arguments about fading them because of competition you know when the competition is a lot a lot weaker than i think people were making it out to be um yeah I will throw it back though. So uh I'm just looking at his game log. So Josh Jacobs has exactly a 50-50 split in his in his outcome and his historical outcomes, right? So weeks four, five, and seven, he was an RB1, right? He scored uh north of 30 points each of those three games. Mm-hmm. Then weeks one, two, and three, he couldn't get he was an RB three, right? The highest he scored that week was like fifth, like 14.5 PPR points. So, like, I think some of this is colored a little bit by recency bias, especially given that he smashed, right? But, yeah, to your point, I mean, from best ball, what do you want out of an eighth or ninth round pick? That, right? Like, you want those 30-point explosions. Yeah. Um, So, I think that that might have been a leak in our process. I think think truly considering um, a bell cow running back when they fall just that far, right? Like, I I don't think we should be fading them at all, right, to get that guaranteed workload. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, moving on from Jacobs, I did another player I wanted to hit on was Ramondre. He shows up pretty well in this chart with sort of a top 12 workload at the running back position. Now, Damian Harris was out for a big stretch of what's shown here on this chart, but he was back last week. Ramondre got 40 snaps to Damian Harris's nine, 22 routes run to Damian Harris's five, eight targets to Damian Harris's two. So just across the board, was really out out playing Damien. I do think part of that is that Damien was just coming back from injury and they're sort of easing him back. But at the same time, I I think the, the median outcome now is Ramondre in sort of a 65-35 split with Damien, maybe 60-40. Whereas at the start of the season, I think after weeks one or two, you might have said the opposite um, to that. I, I yeah. don't really see, without Ramondre's playing and how versatile he is in the, in the passing game compared to Damien. I, I saw, you know, Damien also had a bad drop last night. Um, that was that. That was it for him, I think. Like, yeah. I, I don't think we saw him after that, right? Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, just I'm, I'm bullish on Ramondre. I guess if we're talking league winner category, like I know. think I think he's there, dude. Like he's, he's there because yeah. like because because Aaron Jones. So in week uh, last week, Aaron Jones had the highest running back target share with thirty percent, and then it was Ramondre Stevenson with twenty nine percent, right? Yeah, like that is like like that is gonna be what you need, right? Like again, just talking league winners here. Like that, like that. I think you're very correct. Like I think, I think Ramondre represents a. Uh, we all know how Bill Belichick loves rotating backs, but you know, here's the thing. Like this is a very different Patriots team. You know, what I mean, they're shuffling quarterbacks. I don't think they can afford to play hammerback, pass catching back specialist anymore. Ramondre kind of gives them the best of what they've got. Like the best of what they can get, like, especially in this modern NFL. Right. So I think that he's like his, like his role is fairly cemented. He's not going to lose high value touches to Damien, man. It's going to be very difficult for Damien to re recoup a lot of that, of, of that role. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think it's, it's really wheels up for Ramondre rest of the season. Um, yeah. We talked about, I guess I don't think we've talked about Brees Hall or the Jets situation in much detail yet. That's probably probably worth talking about. Hall over the last four weeks has got around a fifteen uh, point per game expected workload. So such a bummer to see him go down. Yeah, um, and you know, forgot. Yeah, it. He was definitely one of the most exciting rookie running backs we've seen in a while so yeah it sucks for a guy like that to jump right into the fantasy implications but um for for the jets backfield what do you like i see carter here at nine expected fantasy points per game on the next pay on the next chart hall is at 15 do you think can carter get up into sort of the low end rb1 territory how are you sort of viewing him the rest of the season Nah, I think this is like I think he's pretty much where this is going to be where he's in a sort of steady state for the rest of the week for the rest of the season, right? They went out, they traded, and they traded nothing for James Robinson. Um, yeah. Robinson unfortunately lost his role to ETN. He might still have enough in the tank. I still think the Jets. What what makes Carter interesting is that he's still going to see a lot of his um, workload come through the air. So I think realistically, looking at that ten expected fantasy points for Michael Carter on a weekly basis is nice because we know he's got the juice to outkick that like that uh, point expectation, right? Like we know that he's able to roll up yak. We know he can do stuff like that. So, you know, provided once again, he is the lightning to James Robinson's thunder. You know, I'm fairly, fairly happy with him as, as, as a plug and play RB2 rest of the season. This is a heads up for, for, uh, for, for you, for everyone. Uh, the Rotoviz Strength of Schedule app has the New York Jets as the as as the ninth uh, easiest uh, strength of schedule remaining here, um, which isn't bad. Um, yeah, uh, so slightly better than guys like Dallas or whatever, right? But you can see you can see um, Carter coming on, especially in games where they might be trailing and stuff. So. Uh, they also have a fairly soft schedule at the end. Uh, the, 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 in the playoff schedule, they've got Detroit, Jacksonville, and Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. The the Jets do, yeah. So you can see Carter. I mean, all this is moot if Carter gets hurt or something. But like, the, like you can see this like this RB uh, tandem really out, like provide big, big, big wins down the stretch, like in the actual money weeks. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, it's like I, the Jets, and we even saw this more early in the season when Flacco was playing, but they really funneled a lot of expected points to the running backs through the air. With Wilson, we've seen them funnel more expected points running backs on the ground as they sort of have had games, surprisingly, where they've been able to be in positive game scripts and, and take leads. And it's just been a lot of uh, rushing workload for those guys. But yeah, I just think it's a situation where the, the backfield, it, even without, you know, I think Hall going down obviously means they'll funnel less to the backfield, but I still think it's a backfield that's going to have a lot of points at the running back position. So yeah, I'm sort of viewing Carter similar as probably a mid to high end RB2, maybe sort of like Miles Sanders range um, um, type type play going forward. Um, yeah, I, I, I and just to be be clear, do you does this mean you're expecting Miles Sanders is scoring to kind of like scale back a little bit? Because um, he's been kind of also like smashing. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't have a strong take on on Sanders. I think um, it's funny because he's he's kind of gotten there so far on on touchdowns. Um, and his whole thing last year was he scored zero touchdowns. Actually, like quicking uh, quickly flipping back to the quarterback stuff. Uh, Connor and I have talked about this where Jalen Hurts touchdown rate is really low relative to his yes. yards per attempt. Um, yes. Now, this is driven also by the fact that Jalen Hurts short scores a shit ton of rushing touchdowns, so he's like cannibalizing himself on this chart to an extent. But another part of it is that Sanders has had a bunch of short one-yard touchdown runs. Even Boston Scott and Kenny Gainwell, I think. There's some real, yeah. real bullshit. Real yeah. bullshit. A.J. Brown has gotten tackled at the one, and Kenny Gainwell has gotten these like, garbage one yard touchdown rounds but anyways getting back to Sanders like I I don't I I think Sanders will maybe slightly regress just on getting less lucky on touchdowns but I'm still certainly like happy where I drafted Sanders this year to to have him on my team I don't think he's like this massive regression candidate he's clearly the starting running back on a good offense in the NFL and that's like a good a good player to have I, I guess I just think Carter has a little more upside upside in that he can consolidate like a a bigger receiving role than Sanders can. And sort of in in PPR formats, like I could see Carter having, you know, an eight catch game for 70 receiving yards in a way that it's really hard for Sanders to, to sort of get there. Um, Hard agree. Yeah. Yeah. We've spent a lot of time on running backs. I know like we didn't quite, get into the second chart the only the, the one thing I, I wanted to bring up and then i'll um hand it to you if you wanted to mention something was rashad white he has not really appeared on this chart much um this season and he does barely sort of get there um with around 25 percent route or rush attempt rate i just wanted to make the point and this is like less about the data more sort of a narrative thing that uh, the Bucks coaching staff made some comments about how let's see if the old players can still play. Like we might need to evaluate the younger players because these old guys aren't getting it done. Um, I saw that as uh, a big warning sign for Fournette, who's not looked great um, the past couple weeks. So we'll see if if White gets a chance at at a bigger workload. Like it's still more of a stash and wait and see and not somebody I'm starting, but um, you know, 
definitely a guy that I would try to like throw into a trade if I'm trading with a league mate or if you're in a really casual league where he's still available on the wire, like definitely a priority add for me. Um, but yeah, so any, anything on these like sort of middling running backs or should we jump into wide receiver? Nah, not, no real notes here except for the fact that AJ Dillon was way too highly drafted to have fallen here. So uh, real destruction of value. Yeah, he's he basically is just a only a handcuff at this point that you drafted in the sixth round, which is yeah, that's like I mean the 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 definition of handcuff, man. Like that is like yeah, straight 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 devastation. Um, but that's about it. I mean, maybe maybe the only other guy I think we we talked about him on Sunday show, but just to reiterate, like Antonio Gibson probably sees a bit of a bump. You had a good note on McKissick. Do you want to just repeat that here? Yeah, just that um, in the the Washington game, um, McKissick's role was really marginalized and Gibson took over a lot of the passing game work. Uh, I also think that my my other point was just on Robinson, that he definitely has an edge on on Gibson in terms of workload right now, especially on the rushing side. But Gibson just looks so much more explosive that I think, and I think you even heard the coaching staff say this maybe last week, that, hey, we got to get Gibson more looks. I think that Gibson, like continuing to outplay Robinson over a larger sample size, could get him more more work in the in the red zone and and on early downs. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely like I saw Gibson dropped in some of my casual leagues. Like I was definitely excited to to scoop him in some places. I think he had he has like two paths to to getting a bigger role, right? Both through Robinson and McKissick, and I think both are like decently likely given his his talent. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go to wide receiver, um, here now the, I guess, yeah, quickly discussing the, the chart we're looking at, we're looking at wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points. So here on the Y axis, we have fantasy points per game. And on the X axis, we have weighted targets per route run, which is targets per route run, but adjusted for air yards. Uh, to give more credit to guys that are getting looks down the field versus your Rondale Moore negative dot type guys. Um, what I I mean, the first thing that really jumps out here is is the Hopkins return. Um, he he's breaking the chart here. I had to kind of just draw a line off into the into the side here for him because he came in with a hundred and twelve percent weighted targets per route run. To contextualize that. <clears throat> Sort of the the next best guys, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Adams, D.K. Metcalf, Cooper Copper, all around sort of 65 to 75 percent. So, you know, obviously one game sample, but that was really exciting for D-Hop. Any, any thoughts on him <clears throat> going forward? Is this enough to sort of rank him as a wide receiver one uh, for the rest of the season? Or are you are you more skeptical? <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm with you on the wide receiver one because like, look, like, so so Nuke is breaking the chart, right? He's got that uh, 112% weighted targets per route run, but just, you know, you go straight to the left and you see Marquise Brown, RIP, right? Mm -hmm. So to your point, it is just like, just had they both been there, then yeah, you you can't do that. It's going to be maybe the buy is bigger and the scoring buy is bigger, but, but, you know, we don't live in that. We don't, we're not allowed to have nice things. Um, So, so Marquise, that's, that's where he is. Uh, I mean, like this, this uh, uh, the guy who you expect to probably see come up a little bit more would be Tyler Lockett, especially following that Metcalf injury. Luckily, Metcalf 
avoided yep. a major injury, but uh, he's going to miss some time. Uh, maybe it takes a hit hit to his efficiency, but uh, opportunity is wheels up for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to get your take on this uh, with Michael Pittman Jr. Um, you have him in the sell high column, which is very fair. And now with his move to Sam Ehlinger, um, who is best known for his scrambling ability. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Like, how, what can you even get back for, for Pittman? Yeah, that's that's tough. Um, <clears throat> it may be an opportunity in casual leagues. Like, people might just see his over 15 points per game in fantasy and um, may not be paying attention to the, the quarterback stuff. But, yeah, I think Pittman is a guy that's <clears> – <throat> His role is really not, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, not as strong as his fantasy point scoring would have you indicate. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what you can get for him. I guess if I was going to, like, if I was going to try to move him, I might go for, see if you can catch a Christian Kirk, maybe Tyler, Tyler Lockett, Amari Cooper, Chris Godwin, like any any one of those guys that have stronger roles and don't have sort of the, the downside risk of this, this quarterback change um, coming their way. Th- those are the types of names I'm probably looking for uh, if I can get off Pittman, but yeah, I think he's like more in the wider, rec- like wide receiver three range now um, than what you drafted him as a sort of a low end wide receiver one. Um yeah, what uh, one guy I wanted to get your thoughts on, Hassan, was uh, Amari Cooper, who I just mentioned. Um, yeah. What do you like? I think after last year in Dallas, where he seemed to really take a step back and then was traded for for almost nothing this year, I think a lot of people were expecting um, a pretty big regression for him, especially with with Brissett at quarterback. But the role has looked looked pretty strong um where are you sort of ranking cooper rest of season do you think this this role is sort of here to stay or is this a bit of an anomaly no it's i think it's here to stay right especially with this njoku injury yeah um like it just opens up some opportunity for him what's really weird at least is his home and away splits um at home he's scoring at like 21 fantasy points per game and like away he's like scoring five um meanwhile donald donovan peoples jones is like the exact opposite at home he's scoring like six and away he's scoring like 12 um like i think amari cooper is is still a very good player um and especially if the team trades away hunt i mean they're gonna have to target someone right um so i think both of these guys will 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 do um will do well um just wanted to wanted to get your take on you know like we're and we should expect the pie to grow when uh when watson comes yeah yeah i think um yeah i think the watson thing is pretty exciting for cooper the fact that he's been able to get to around 15 points per game um even with watson out is pretty exciting um so yeah i i don't know i'd be he's a guy i have him here in the buy low he's a guy that i think could really explode down the stretch as a target hog in a good passing offense who not like your guess is as good as mine how watson will look coming off of 
you know, a year and a half of not playing football, but I have a hard time believing he'll be worse than uh, Jacoby Brissett. So um, yeah, it seems like if you can get him sort of at value right now, um, it seems sort of like a, a, a low risk, high, high upside play. Um, yeah. I want to move on to the next chart of wide receivers, but just for people following along on audio, want to throw out a couple other like potentially interesting uh, buy lows that show up on this chart. We have um, Deontay Johnson and, and George Pickens who just misses the buy low category, but I would put both of that, those guys in that grouping. I still think they will have more fantasy value than they've shown down the stretch. I also think Cooks, DJ Moore, um, and Zay Jones are interesting as well. Obviously different, different price points for those guys, but those are all guys whose roles look stronger than what they've scored so far this season. Moving on to the, the next charts. Now we're looking at wide receivers that have run 65 to 85% of their team's routes. Um, same chart, but just sort of more like close to full-time players, but, but not quite. Um, man, I, I, we've talked about the Falcons a bit, but Asan, I guess I want to start here with Drake London. Truly an elite, mm. elite um, targets per route run, but truly just one of the worst passing offenses for fantasy scoring that I've seen in a while. Um, yeah, how are you? How are you ranking Drake London the rest of the season? Or like, what is, is there anything left here? Is there is there like a ceiling? that's left here or are you starting to, to lose hope on um, the Drake London experience? Um, this, and I guess it depends because I, I don't think I have many guys with higher upside than Drake London. So I'm just going to have to keep plugging him in. Um, yeah. like, I, I, like, I don't know how, if I, I don't know how I'm going to click on starting an equanimia St. Brown over Drake London or a Darius Dayton mm-hmm. over Drake London. Right. It yeah. becomes very difficult to make those type of plays. Marvin Jones over Drake London. Um, I think yeah. you just got to plug him in and, and pray. I mean, it's just such a shame for, for such a high-powered, exciting rookie player to be dragged down like this. Um, what would you would you start Wandale Robinson or, or Drake London? Like, not rest of the season, but just, like, say uh, next week. What are you oh, doing? that's actually uh, – I'll probably start Wandale, Wandale, Wandale. Yeah. I, think, I think you just have to. He's been he's looked good. really good. Assuming the injury, I know he did get banged up, but assuming he's healthy, yeah. I think yeah, assuming he's assuming he's healthy for sure. The yeah. only other guy who really stands to me, like I don't think falls in the sell high category, would be Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. He might actually be on your waiver wire, so pick him up if he is and you need wide receiver help because he's kind of got big play potential. Like we've seen that. Yeah, I like Dotson too, and yeah, we've seen that like Heineke can can be okay. I think especially like this is kind of just a hand in the dirt take from watching Heineke, but he just chucks it up deep. And we've seen Dotson win on those types of plays. It's not like Heineke's particularly accurate or good at doing it, but he he takes chances. It's almost like a it kind of reminds me of watching Jameis back in the day when he was just out of control in Tampa Bay, just kind of running around and, and hucking out hucking up prayers. So um, that could, you know, that's going to be inconsistent for the wide receivers, but could lead to some big plays. Um, yeah, the other, continuing the trend of talking about rookie wide receivers, 
I think Olave, he shows up here in the strong performers, but again, in your more in your more casual leagues, like he's a guy that I'm trying to trade for. His his role is truly elite. Uh he looks, yeah, he looks really good out there. And you know, eventually Mike Thomas should be back. Eventually Landry should be back. Maybe that drags down his opportunity a little bit, but I still expect him to be the number one there in, in New Orleans. And yeah, again, his role looks to be outpacing how he scored so far this year. So I'm definitely buying Chris Olave. Um, yeah. Any, any other wide receivers in this chart that, that jump out to you, Asan? Nah, none yet. I mean, realistically, we we know who's good and who's not. I mean, maybe the guy to really still keep an eye on is Tyquan Thornton, but he really came back to earth yesterday. Um, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers hates all of his own wide receivers. So <laughs> I'm surprised to see Romeo Dubes up there. Um, and as for the rest, I mean, like this is who you expect. I I really don't know what I'd be doing with Rob with Bobby Woods. He's Kind of the last man standing right now, but like Traylon Burks should be back at some point. So I think that that's just a, like a plug him if you have plug and play if you have him, but Burks will be back at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think like Woods isn't the worst start, but he's not someone I'm really excited about for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. agree with your other points. I think on the on the Packers thing, like I got excited about dubs. Even this offseason got a little excited about Watson, but Sometimes the the most boring answer is the right one. I think the answer in Green Bay is Alan Lazard. Um, you know, he's not. I think he got he's hurt. Someone who's gonna. What'd you say? I think he got hurt. Did he get hurt? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, severity of the injury is still unknown, but oh, I did not. I missed that one. Okay. Well, they they, they turned to Aaron, Aaron Jones though. So. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I I missed that. So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that opens up more opportunities for Dubs or someone like Watson. Uh, but man, Dubs is like uh, not not looked great out there uh, from an efficiency standpoint or a target earning standpoint. So it's it's really hard to like get that excited about him, even if um, if Lazard were to miss time. But yeah, let's um, let's move on to the last wide receiver chart here don't have to spend a ton of time again this is these are guys um that are more rotational players earning between 40 to 65 percent of their team's routes um i think the one like in, the most fantasy relevant player besides Amon ross st brown is who's kind of only on here because of an anomaly of how the data works like he got one snap last week before he got hurt so that's why he he shows up in this category He's, you know, obviously must start stud if he's healthy. But the, the other fantasy relevant guy I want to talk about here was was Wandale. He shows up here as having around a 60% weighted targets per route run. That's a really strong metric. And over the last two weeks, um, I think he was at like 25% of routes uh, the week one and then was up to closer to like 70 to 80% last week. Uh, as long as he's healthy he's earning a pretty strong opportunity and the giants are if you watch the games they're, they're clearly scheming touches for him i think he like started off the game having four catches for 12 yards or something like that yeah. it was a lot of short scheme stuff but in ppr like that's that's what we want for you know how you acquired him probably on waivers or last round pick like that's a that's a solid flex that you can you can throw in your starting lineup most weeks um yeah any other notes that's a lot of 
man, a lot of guys. Uh, uh, just a lot of a lot of prayers here. <laughs> Mikko, I mean, Mikko, maybe you might want to hold him if you can find him off waivers. I don't think I'd be trading for him at all. Um, and God knows when you'd play him. We've got we've got a few apocalyptic bye weeks coming up, so that's probably when you'd play him. But yeah, like outside of that, like you really, if if you if you're starting like you know any of these guys, God, God save you. Yeah. I will note, like, there is this interesting cluster of Brashad Perryman, Scotty Miller, yeah. Jones, and then I think that just kind of speaks to like, if Godwin and if Godwin or Gage is out, and one of those guys is in there, like as the wide receiver three, it's not a terrible bet to make, just because the Bucks they haven't looked good, but they're throwing a lot. Um, Brady does target sort of that deep threat wide receiver three in the form of Perryman, Miller, Julio, so. In weeks where we can get a read on who that guy is going to be if one of the starters misses times, like I think it's an interesting, like we're talking maybe more like DFS min price type type. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought that's an interesting cluster here. And then, yeah, if you can even name like what team Mason Kinsey or Keith Kirkwood is on in the bottom left here, um, then you're a true, true sicko. I have no idea who who these guys are. Uh, so, oh, Keith Kirkwood. Keith, uh, Keith Kirkwood is actually on the Panthers. Uh, they hung a line. I think, I think, I think he's on the Panthers. Let me just check on that one for you. Okay. But they hung a line. They hung a line for him. Yeah. Uh, apparently he is a free agent right now. Ah, uh, he might be, he might've played for them a few weeks ago or something. And he showed up here because of that. Cause you, cause he, cause he used to be a saint. I remember Anyway, I, I haven't at least heard of him, Mason Kinsey, and now like everyone else is tuned out. But I've I've never heard of Mason Kinsey. Oh, I guess he's on the Titans. He looks like uh, he looks like a lacrosse player that Belichick would have signed to the special teams. Um, God, is <laughs> a disaster run out for the Titans, and they're <laughs> they're no wide receivers. Yeah. Uh-oh. All right, let's finish off here with the tight ends. Um, so for this chart here, what's changed from past weeks for those who have followed along is I'm now looking at a four week rolling average for the tight ends as opposed to the full season. So this is just looking at weeks four through seven for tight end utilization and efficiency shown on the chart here are all tight ends that have greater than 65% of routes run on their team's dropbacks. Um, and you can also see the targets for route run and a dot on this chart here to get a sense of, you know, what tight ends are being used as wide receivers um, with higher a dots and higher targets for route run, like Mark, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, which guys are sort of in the grosser, like tight end dump off roles with lower targets for route run, lower a dots um, guys like that, you know, your, your sort of Dawson Knox's um, Hayden Hurst profile is more of those types of guys. So yeah, um, looking at this chart here, I think, you know, the the thing I think that people will be most interested in talking about is the Greg Dulcich role. They have immediately thrown him into sort of a full-time role in terms of pass routes. He's running about 80, 70 to 80% of the team's pass routes the past two weeks. And has also had a pretty strong targets for route run of 20%. That's not yeah. elite, but that's that's pretty good with an A dot of around 10. So he's being used down the field to some extent. Uh yeah, I get like how would you 
Is, is Dulcich a, a tight end one now? Is it is that too too extreme to jump to that, or how are you sort of viewing him for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, he's a. I think he's a tight. I mean, the, the usage pretty much puts him right into that tight end one number, right? Like he's. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just Greg Dulcich's world, and we're just living in it. I mean, uh, I will say that, like, I think the game against the Jets, like, we should kind of asterisk that, if only because Sauce Gardner absolutely ruined Cortland Sutton's life. Um, Sauce Gardner is really, really good, um, and so that's where you're getting some of that from from Dulcich. But Dulcich is like very, very talented at what he's done. Um, he's definitely in that Evan Ingram mold right now where you just, I mean, you have him, you got to start him. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you a question. Uh, TJ Hawkinson or Greg Dossage this week, who has more PPR points? Mm. Amon Ra is back. It's going to be back. So it was a concussion. Yeah. I think I would, I think I would go Dulcich. Right. Yeah. And, and this is like the point. And one of them was a highly like a draft in the sixth round kind of guy. And the other one is like off of waivers. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think these are, like, I think, I think that that is the kind of, that's the kind of, um, I think that's uh, the range you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I, like, and, and I say that, like, I don't want to sound overconfident in that take. Like, I think it's very close, right? They, they profile very yeah. similarly, but, 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 but like these are, but this is what you're getting from the, any tight end yeah. not named Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, right? Like, yeah. like, like George Kittle started to tear himself away. Dallas Goddard has started to tear, tear away. Um, but then you've got like, and he's, and you know, Cole Komet's got a ludicrous a dot, but a pathetic targets per route run. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so then you're looking at your Hayden Hurst's and stuff like that. Right. So I think that that's right. Where you, where you, where you just plug him in it. And, and I think to that end, the same guy who's making that kind of like noise is Robert Dunyon. Right. Cause we just, we just talked about how like the Packers don't have any good receivers, well, twenty-two percent targets per route run on a very shallow A dot gets you a lot of cheapo PPR points, right? Yep. Yeah, I think he's definitely a guy you can look to uh, if you're desperate at tight end. But yeah, it really it does feel like this season more like more than anything else. It's Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey in the tier of their own, and then like, man, you, you can't like after that. It's just a flat, super flat list of guys. Um, you know, I, I'd probably put Kittle there at three. And then after that, like, I don't, I don't care how you rank tight ends yeah. four through just, like 15. Just, like, it, yeah, it's, yeah. Whoever finds Bader is going to be like a tight end one, you know? Yeah. I do think an interesting discussion is Harrison Bryant for war folks yeah. in main event football guys or sort of any tight end premium league. Yeah. Joku yeah. is going to be out. Uh, two to six or two to five weeks, I believe the report was, and he's had a fairly elite role for a tight end. 21% targets for route run. That's quite good. He's had around 80% of his teams. He's running around on 80% of his team's dropbacks. That's also quite good. Um, I think, yeah, if you were, if Joku hadn't gotten hurt, I think a lot of people would have put him in sort of the top six, top five tight end category for the rest of the season, somewhere around yeah. there. Do you think Harrison Bryant immediately steps into that role, um, like going forward? I mean, obviously, Joku will be back at some point, but would you rank Harrison Bryant as you would have ranked in Joku, you know, for the next couple of weeks? Or do you think there's sort of a talent gap there? 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it one to one. I do think that Harrison Bryant actually showed flashes even when playing with Njoku last like last season, the last few seasons. He's actually fairly talented in my opinion. Yeah. Um that's kind of a stealth opinion that I've kept to myself for quite some time. Uh but if you look across my dynasty ro- rosters, I promise I've got a lot of Harrison Bryant. Um yeah, I think he's definitely startable. I don't know, like I think I would prefer Dulcich over Harrison Bryant. Um yeah. but but yeah, he's definitely, definitely one of the guys who you want. Um, the guy who catches my eye really on this list, and we talked about the Chargers' injuries earlier, is Gerald Everett, right? Uh, mm-hmm. with, with Mike Williams set to miss some time, and this, you know, we could see Gerald Everett potentially being working his way into like that top five tight end list. Mm, yeah, I think that's a good one to point out, just with how bad that wide receiver room is for the chargers uh gerald everett is someone who definitely gets a slight boost but yeah back to harrison bride i think i'm with you there not quite one-to-one with joku but pretty close um i in teams where maybe joku was my starter and i had nothing else i would be pretty aggressive on on bryant i think i think like a hundred to two hundred dollar bid is okay and if you're really desperate like and you really need, at this point like we're at the point in the season in these leagues where if you need a win like it's okay to overspend for a guy who who will be a good spot start the tight end uh waiver wires is often pretty pretty dry in those leagues so so brian's gonna be out there i'm okay with yeah 200 even even higher than that on some teams um yeah really random like deep note that I think is interesting. Armani Rogers is a name that I had not really heard of, but he's on the Washington football team and he got some decent run last week. I think, I believe both Logan Thomas um, and uh, I'm blanking on the backup uh, Bates, John Bates, John Bates yep. were both out and it was Cole Turner the week before this week. It seemed to be a lot more Armani Rogers. I think he was just sort of an interesting note. I think he played some quarterback in either college and high school, and they did have him out there for some wildcat snaps. Um, I did yeah. see that on red zone. So, yeah, if you're, like, super desperate at tight end and we get news that both Thomas and Bates are con- going to continue to be out, I think at this point I would be Armani Rogers over Cole Turner. But, yeah, again, <laughs> this is – Super desperation mode if you're if you're looking at either of those guys. Um, yeah, hey, anyway, hey. yeah, go he ahead. could be the arbitrage Taysom Hill. Come on now, yeah, <laughs> why, yeah, why draft Taysom Hill in the 14th round and you can't get Armani Rogers in the 18th? That's that's what I was saying all offseason. Um, but yeah, man, anytime we're talking about Armani Rogers, it's it's usually a sign that the show is the show is over. Um, Always got to mention one tight end on the show that nobody has ever heard of before. But yeah, Son, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for thanks for hopping on and thanks for having uh, me. Going through these stats. Anything you want to uh, plug before we close out here? No, follow me uh, at hrr fifty ten and check out the fantasy football report on Sundays. We we record at seven p.m. or check us out on Spotify or wherever you find uh, your uh, favorite. Favorite apps. Uh, Sam was there with us uh, on Sunday. Definitely heavily recommend listening to that show. One of the best ones we've done all season. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Definitely recommend checking that out. Um, but yeah, um, thanks to everyone for tuning in. And um, I'm glad we all got together for, for Harrison Bryant week. I will see you guys next week. Peace.